Hello and welcome back or welcome to the Performance Rising podcast today. Another special episode for us where I normally talk to coaches. Today I'm going to talk to Matt Webb, Athletic Director at Houghton College. Matt, thank you for doing this and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matthew, for having me. Glad to be here. So as one can imagine with all the things going on in COVID, Matthew is on, I'm sorry, Matt, I told you that was going to be a problem, <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, uh, is on a tight schedule and there's so much we want to talk about. Uh, but we're going to try to do our best to make this just about an hour. Uh, Matt, you've had a really interesting career. And just kind of prefacing that, I want you to walk us through your journey. Where did you start and what led you here? Yeah, well, when I finished my undergrad experience in 91, um, didn't necessarily know I was going to get into coaching. Um, I'd been a collegiate athlete myself. I played soccer in college. Um, and when I came to Houghton, uh, all the way back in 92, uh, not for athletics, but in residence life, um, I had the opportunity to, 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 the women's soccer coach asked if I'd be willing to help out with the women's soccer team. And uh, I thought, well, sure. I mean, I love soccer and didn't know I'd have coaching opportunity, but I would love to help out. I had sort of a part-time job. So I joined the women's soccer team on staff. And I'll never forget the second day of practice, we're walking down the hill and one of the, one of the athletes asks me, so how do you like coaching women? And I was like, well, this is only day two and I've never coached men before either. So I said, so far, so good, you know, and uh, that led to four years of, of coaching as an assistant with the women's soccer program. And at that point I switched over to the men. I had an opportunity to switch to the men. The men's coach approached me and I was an assistant coach for seven years with our men's program. Um, all during that time, I was uh, my, my full-time work was in student life. I was director of student programs. And so I have a student life background in terms of sort of the education of the whole student. Um, did a lot of programming, leadership development, um, which is a bit of a passion of mine and also where my, my educational background is as well. So um, that sort of was a big part of what I did in my student life background. But all during that time, I, I loved getting out on the field sort of at the end of the day for practice and, and uh, being with the athletes. And when it presented itself as an opportunity in uh, 2004 to become the head coach, I, I got the job and then for 15 years uh, operated as the head coach and, and loved it. And, and uh, you know, the best part, most coaches will tell you the best part of coaching is the relationships that they have with their athletes. And, and uh it was a great 15 years. Uh, four of those years included actually coaching my, my older son. Um, so I, I, I had that experience and uh, just lots of memories uh, positive from my years of coaching and a lot of alumni that I still keep in touch with. And that's probably one of my favorite things when, when one of my former players calls or we get a wedding invitation because he's getting married or because they're having a baby, you know, and, and they want to tell me as their former coach that, that that's happening. Um, that's the best part of coaching. And so I've got a lot of years of those, uh, of those memories. So, um, and then just a few years ago, moved into the AD role. And I would say in my coaching career, I had some other administrative responsibilities as well. And particularly in more recent years, I found myself really aspiring to those things. Um, some of my coaching colleagues, when I told them I was moving into the AD role, you know, they were like, you're nuts. What are you doing? You know? And, and, uh, I've had those moments where I'm looking out my window where I've been spending all day looking at spreadsheets and, and looking at my screen. And I look out the window at four o'clock and I see the men's soccer team out on the field, you know, in a early September uh, day. And I'm thinking to myself, Hmm, what did I, what, what did I give this up for? But uh, I mean, I know I'm in the spot where I need to be and, and uh, I've really, really enjoyed that transition. And so I guess that's the, that's the route that I've taken to get to this point. Um, for all those years when I was coaching, I saw it as my primary job. The most important thing I did was invest in the lives of the young men that I coached, um, just sort of pouring into them. And you know, we always used to say, not that the men's soccer experience was the only thing that made this happen, but I, I much rather would see young men graduate from our program and be better prepared to be better employees, better husbands, better dads maybe than they otherwise would have been, and that hopefully their experience in our program played a small part 
in that recognizing that the big part in that probably is how they were raised and, and all of those kinds of things. But, uh, and now I don't have that so much. I don't have that direct connection with the student athletes. Um, I have quite a bit of indirect uh, contact with the student athletes, but now it's the coaches. And, and my role now is to do that same thing with, that's my new team is, is our, is our coaches, our head and assistant coaches and administrative staff. And so it's a different kind of team. It's a different kind of mentoring and investing but um, that's what I see my role in, in terms of how we lead the department and the impact that we want to have on the young men and women that are in the department, the athletes, it comes directly from the coaches. And my role is to help facilitate the coaches so that they can do that um, as well as possible. That is quite the journey. So thank you for sharing that. There's a lot in there that we could and probably will unpack. I want to first start. So one of the many soapboxes I have on this podcast is talking about the relational aspects aspects of athletics and how absolutely key it is and how I think there is now a growing awareness, although it's always been there, um, a shift away from this coach driven winning centered model into a relational, uh, you know, team centered model. So as an organizational psychologist, that is utterly fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to the relationship part. Having coached both men and women, I know, you know, they both have robust relationships. There's certainly no difference in the relationships you have, but the relationships themselves and how they're built maybe, or how they feel is definitely different. And I'm wondering how you could maybe talk about that, the differences in those team communities and how you related to them. Well, probably the most noticeable when I was coaching with the women, uh, I had my two little girls, I've got twin daughters. They were two, two and a half. And on the women's team, I mean, we had 24 built-in babysitters and all they wanted to do was play with Emma and Esther whenever the girls would show up at practice. When I switched to the men and we still had those little girls, they thought they were cute, but it was sort of like, well, I guess coach brought his kids around today. You know, I don't know if I can say they thought it was an inconvenience, but it was a different kind of, um, different kind of relationship. You know, I think on the women's side, um, the relationships that we had with the players and in terms of investing in that, I was quite a bit younger then uh, also. And so I probably played a, a bit of a big brother kind of role um, for the athletes that we worked with. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with building them up and encouraging um, was very much my role as the assistant coach. The, the head coach was a very, very successful coach, um, had been coaching, was a very established coach. Um, and I think I very much played a role of sort of a liaison between the head coach and, and, and uh, the players where decisions were made, this and they would come to me like, what's coach thinking? And, and I'd usually say, well, you need to go talk to him. He'll talk to you. It's, you know, but I think there was that comfortability level with me in that, in that assistant role. Um, I think with the men, so then I, I coached men for 22 years. I think the way in which I related to the men really evolved over those 22 years um, where early on when I was in my, you know, late twenties, early thirties, coaching the men um, again, very much more of a big brother. Um, there was a, de there was a defined role, you know, line there between being, being, uh, a friend versus being a coach, but there was a little bit less formality. Um, the, the, when I was an assistant coach, all the guys called me Webby and I was okay with that uh, because I liked a little bit of that sense of familiarity where they could come to and feel comfortable with me. Um, and then as I, as I evolved into the head coaching role and got a little older, I think my role and my relationship with my players became much more parental um, I don't know. I don't want to project and say that any of my players saw me as a father figure, but I think in some ways I felt a little bit of that responsibility. I mean, I'll never forget. I had a player who played for me, whose father was, had been out of the picture just about his whole life. And during the years while he was playing for me, his mother died from cancer. And I just, I remember thinking I have to be there at the funeral for him. I'm not his father. I don't think he considers me his father, but in some ways I was sort of playing that role in his life during these particular years. And so um, being at that funeral, which meant flying somewhere to another part of the country and being there was really, really important to me because I knew that was, that was going to be a significant moment. And so um, 
I think at the end of my career, just give you know, I'm, I'm 51 now. And, and uh, so I'm not super, super old, but I'm getting there. Became much more of a parental kind of figure, maybe uncle. Um, and, and I would say uh, the nature of the, the interactions were a little different. Whereas earlier on in my career was probably more free and jovial and maybe joking around with the guys and, and engaging in that part of their activity as a team. Whereas later on, it probably didn't take that role on quite as much, you know, bus rides looked a little different. Whereas maybe I used to hang out and sit amongst all the guys and play cards with them while we were traveling. It evolved into, I usually sat at the front of the bus and they, they stayed in the back. And um, I think the, the depth of relationships then happened in my office or on my deck at my house uh, in, in, you know, in, in the evening, I live basically right on campus. In fact, I live about a 20 second walk from the townhouses where a lot of our upper class students lived. And so a lot of my players lived basically right next door. And, um, so a lot happened in our home. Um, there was a, for, for all the years that I coached, I saw our family as a way of modeling to them, um, what it means to be a family and, and who I am as a husband and who I am as a dad is actually more important than who I am as a coach. And that was always something I wanted them to understand that for as much as I love them and for as important as they were to me as my team, they actually were trumped by my wife and my kids. Those, they were more important. And um, I think that's just part of the modeling and teaching that I wanted to let them see in terms of who I was as a coach. Uh, you know, you know, as well as I, uh, coaches are often, um, Kids will talk about a favorite professor or a favorite, you know, whatever, but they don't spend nearly as much time as they did with their coach during, during that time. So that's something I say to my coaches. I said, look, whether you like it or not, you have, you, you will have the most influence on these athletes' lives probably than anyone else in their collegiate career, whether you want to or not. And that influence can be either for good or it can be hurtful. And so our responsibility is to, to build them up and, and you don't have the same exact relationship you have a bigger roster you have 25 26 27 kids you don't have the same depth of relationship with every single player but everyone's still important and and you need to know that that you have influence over them so i've rambled quite a bit i don't know if that's what you're getting at but um yeah so that's not rambling whatsoever i, I think you've covered <laughs> and broached so many really interesting topics and here I am jotting down notes, just hoping to kind of do justice to everything. And, and one of the things I've heard in your language is so much about relationships. And, and we certainly just talked about this, but I'm curious, where does that come from? Um, you know, when people think about athletics, most people started as an athlete and their training is in the sport, playing the sport. But there's this whole other side, right? It's the relational stuff. It's emotional intelligence, relational dynamics. Where did you get that sense of, you know, a focus on relationships? Where does that come from? Is it a family thing? Well, I think a lot of it probably is grounded in my faith, um, sort of in my, in my Christian heritage and background, where other people are more important than self. And, and being others focused is a priority. You know, and that actual language right there is something I use with my team all the time, being others focused. I think that has ramifications for how you play the sport. You know, I used to say, if all you're out there is for your own glory, we're not going to be that good. But if you're out there with the objective of making your teammates look better, make, make, make Johnny look good. If he makes a mistake, help him make up for his mistake. You know, make him not look so bad when he made a mistake. If that's our perspective, we're going to be a better team. But I mean, I think that's, you know, from where I'm coming from, I think that's biblical also. And, and so from my, my own background, I think that's a really, really important element is putting others first and being, being a servant. You know, I was, I talked with our guys about leading from behind and, and, you know, being the last, the, the, the leaders on the team should be the one picking up the gear and, and uh, eating last at restaurants. And just some of those simple things, you know, are, are, are factors that we tried to build in. But I mean, I think, I think another part of it, probably it's just my personality and how I was raised. But I think another part of it too, is my, my, my training in leadership. Um, you know, I, I did my dissertation and my doctoral studies on the impact of transformational or transactional leadership on student athlete, moral reasoning ability. That was my dissertation for anybody who wants, you know, having trouble falling asleep at night, you can pick up my dissertation and start reading. But it, um, 
basically my whole premise was, well, transformational leadership is all relationship based. It's all about investing in the members of a team for sort of corporate buy-in to what our goals and objectives are rather than you do this for me and I'll reward you, you know, that transaction based uh, uh, influence. And so uh, I think a lot of my study has sort of influenced what I see is really, really important in how I lead. Um, not from a position of fear and threatening. Um, for example, one of the things I do now, I'm very, very intentional in my new role as athletic director. I have meetings in my own office. There's, there's times where I'll call a coach to meet with me in my office, but much more often than not, I like to walk around and meet my coaches in their space. Um, I think it's less threatening. I think it shows interest in who they are. Um, rather than come to me, which is kind of a power move, um, you know, come into my space where I'm comfortable. Um, rather, I want to go to their space because I'm already in a position of authority. I will call it that, but um, I don't want it to be based on that kind of, you know, hierarchical kind of thing. And so the relationship's really, really important to me. I think when people know that you value them as individuals, they're going to be much more inclined to want to work for you from the coaching perspective, to want to play for you um, and just building that intrinsic motivation because there's just inherent value in who they are. You're going to get the best out of your employees, out of your athletes and so forth. So, I mean, to answer the question, I think it's grounded in my faith that that's, that's the probably the ground work for, for why I do that. I think it's, it's a little, but who I am just comes from. I think I, I, I think I lost you there for a little bit. If you wouldn't just go oh. back and say the last part again. Sorry about that. Um, I was just saying that I think where that comes from ultimately is probably my faith is the groundwork of the foundation of where that comes from. I think too, um, it's a little bit just my own personality, who I am. That's, that's how I, am wired. But I think three, my educational background too, has helped influence that, the idea of servant leadership and then the concept of transformational and transactional leadership, the idea that the person is of value. Um, I think those three things probably are what influence it the most. So talking about faith, in this case, for people who don't know anything about Houghton, uh, why don't you give us a brief recap of what Houghton is and in particular, what role faith plays? Yeah, so Houghton is a Christian college. It's a liberal arts college. Um, it's got close ties with the Wesleyan denomination. There's actually four institutions. There's a lot of schools in our country that have Wesleyan as part of the name of their college, but there's really just four in the United States that are closely tied to the denomination like we are. One would be Houghton. Uh, second one would be Indiana Wesleyan in uh, Marion, Indiana. Third one would be Southern Wesleyan in uh, uh, South Carolina. And the fourth is Oklahoma Wesleyan out in, in Oklahoma. So those are the four in, in here in the United States um, that are sort of sister schools in that regard. So, um, but that, that affiliation with the denomination and that commitment to who we are as a faith-based institution really permeates sort of everything that we do. So every student um, is required to take a couple Bible classes. So there's an intro to uh, uh, biblical literature, intro to Christianity. So there's a couple classes that, that everybody would take. Um, but not everybody has to be a Bible or religion major. We're very much a liberal arts school in that regard. Um, there are some requirements on campus that every student um, needs to, to, we have chapel three times a week that kids attend. And um, But that, that faith-based culture in terms of just who we are institutionally, like I said, that permeates everything and that permeates our department as well. And so, you know, we've got a couple specific points of emphasis in our own department that um, we like to see and use sport as a way of connecting with other people that don't believe the same that we do. So all of our teams over the years have had opportunities to travel overseas and have done trips where we, so for example, over the years when I was coaching soccer, I've been to the Czech Republic a few times. I've been to Peru a couple times. I've been to Costa Rica once. I've been to Japan with teams that we've taken. So we've used soccer to connect with people, play a game, have fun where winning doesn't really matter. Well, we still want to win when we play the game. I mean, there, there, there's a, if you ever play a game and you don't want to win it, you know, sort of why are you playing? Right. But that wasn't, that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal was to, 
enjoy our competitive game, win or lose, and then connect with those that we're playing with. And we would do clinics with kids um, in the community and, and do a lot of different things. And so um, a lot of our athletes that have come through our program, uh, regardless of the sport, have that opportunity at some point. What we like to say is at some point in your four-year career, you have, you'll have an opportunity to go on a trip with your team to somewhere. And so it's, it's just really a big part of who we are. But we also see being part of a team is a bit of a microcosm of what it means to live life. And so any team that anybody is on, uh, you're going to have people on your team. Like I like to say, you're going to have someone on your team that's a saint, your sandpaper person. They just rub you the wrong way. So learning how to deal with conflict, learning how to deal with success, learning how to deal with failure, with disappointment, relational conflict, you're going to get that in a team setting. Um, and that's such a, such an opportunity for one building relationship, going deep into relationship. Um, but two for learning how to live life and learning how to be an employee when you get out and have to deal with that new sandpaper person, um, that you're working with. But, um, I think, you know, the fact that we're a Christian school, um, that we're connected to the, the denomination that we are, that's a, that's a real niche for who we are as an institution. I remember years ago talking, when I was still coaching, talking with a soccer coach of another school um, sort of in the area, and he was asking me what my funnel looked like. You know, how many kids do you recruit to get your six or seven that you need each year? And I was like, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe 30. And he's like, I need, I need like 300 because there's nothing special about our institution. There's no niche factor there. Well, there's such a niche factor that, you know, um, we say who we are and people either want that or don't want that a lot of times. And, and uh, it, it helps us in the recruiting in some ways. It, it, in some ways it makes it easier because it narrows the pool. Um, and there are, there are people who come to Houghton that choose Houghton that weren't super familiar with who we were or, or how we operated with it, and that's great. But there's a there's a very natural draw for a lot of people too, um, for us. So, I mean, that's what we like to say is what you hear and see about the institution that it's our faith is integrated into how we learn in the classroom and how you interact with your faculty. There are some people that might think, yeah, but in sports you don't do that. No, not at Houghton. It's very very much part of who we are in our department. And so, um, I think that that's what makes us special it's why i love working here because it's real it's not just a facade and and uh it's who we are so i really connect about the sales funnel because when i was a head coach at division three i had 386 in my database per <laughs> per year basically and yeah. uh for about 30 kids to come on campus so I, yeah. i'm a little jealous and envious you mentioned culture and one of the things i felt and seen uh, as a coach many times is that religious based influenced institutions and military academies have a very distinct advantage when it comes to culture creation because the cultural signposts the messaging is built in and and transitioning now i'm wondering you know what is the culture of the athletic department knowing that it's not necessarily different from the school itself but in your idea what is the culture of the of the athletic department before that the million dollar question what is culture what is culture? Well, the second question is easier to answer. I know. The first question is, I think a lot of people know what culture is when they see it, but defining it is really hard. So, I mean, culture, oftentimes the things that define culture are things you see hung on your walls, traditions that you, you know, that you uphold, um, your values, your inherent values that just get sort of passed on from one class to the next that may or may not be written down. Um, but I think the culture at Houghton, if I were to describe the culture in our department, um, and like you said, a lot of it is predefined in terms of who we are. So our motto for our department, our athletic department motto is excellence for the glory of God. And so I've taken that word excellence and I've, I've added another, another word to it in recent years about what's it mean to be competitively excellent. Um, I think there's a, there can be a perception out there that Christian school, that's just a bunch of nice kids, they're going out and playing and, and not always very good. I think that can be a general perception. Well, we want to be competitively excellent. Being excellent for the glory of God means doing our schoolwork well, 
doing doing our jobs well, doing our relationships well, doing our sport well. And so part of the equation of doing the sport well, also, you know, it's not all about winning and losing, but in the sport world, that's very naturally part of the equation. So that is part of the equation. Now, having said that, it's really interesting. I have a, a brand new coach this past year. And when we sat down to go over goals and objectives, I asked the question about sort of end of year goals from a success perspective. You know, what are you hoping for? You know, wins and losses. What do you think is realistic? And she refused to give me numbers. She's like, that's not the results will take care of themselves. My goals have to do with the process. And so for as much as I wanted to nail down something, um, because that's hard to measure, right? I don't know. How do I measure the process when I do an evaluation, but I can measure numbers, but I appreciate that perspective because how we get there is really, really important. But what I would say the culture of our department is we want to be competitively excellent, which means doing really, really well on the field, on the court, on the trails, whatever it might be, but we want to do it the right way. And we want to do it with conviction and we want to do it in a way where we're not compromising our values and, and our ethics. And, and one of the things that I think is really, really interesting, the culture of sport in our world today, I would say has a different ethical barometer than outside of sport. What's okay in sport wouldn't be okay in, in other uh, milieus, I don't think. And so, for example, as a soccer coach for years, I used to tell my guys, hey, if the ball goes out of bounds, just pick it up and pretend like it's your throwing because the ref doesn't know. He didn't see who it went off of. And even though you know it went off of you, if you're closer to it, just pick it up because he might give you the throw. Well, that's deception. That's, that's, but in the, but in sport, in the world of soccer, that's completely acceptable. That's okay. Um, you know, I, 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 basketball, it's always funny to me. Ball goes out of bounds. Five guys on the one team all point in one direction. The five guys on the other team all point in the other direction. And you know full well somebody knows that it went off of them. And they know that it's not their ball. But that's okay. Um, and I think the concept of as long as the ref doesn't see it, it's, it's acceptable. It's okay. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there that would coach that way. I even did. I think in my early years of coaching, it's like, hey, there's one ref on the whole field. It's huge. Yeah, you got a couple ARs also, but as long as they don't see you. Well, I think as I matured as a coach and as I became more convicted myself, I'm like, no, that's not right. That's not what I want to teach my young men that play for me, that cheating the system as long as you don't get caught is okay. I mean, that's like saying cheating on your taxes as long as you don't get caught is okay. Well, cheating on your test in your class, as long as you don't get caught, that's accept. No, that's not acceptable. No one would say that's acceptable just because you didn't get caught. But in sport, I think sometimes it is. It, it is acceptable. And so you, you could probably have a real good debate about that. What, what is within this, the spirit of the game? But I think that idea that um, as a Christian athlete, as a Christian coach, we are called to hold true to our ethical standards and our integrity is really, really important. And so I don't know if you've ever heard of Eric Little. He's one of my heroes. He's a Scottish Olympian from years and years ago, long, long time ago. And he was really convicted. One of his strong convictions was that he didn't compete on Sundays. And so he made the Olympic team as a hundred meter sprinter, got to the Olympics in, I think it was in Paris and found out that the preliminary round for the hundred meter dash was on a Sunday. And he said, I can't do it. Well, the Olympic committee said, well, how about you enter the 400? Well, I mean, that would never happen today, but he entered the 400, which anyone who knows anything about track and field, a 400 is very different than a hundred. It's a puke and, fest. Yeah. And, and uh, he won it. He won a gold medal. And so to me, he's the ultimate example of, he held true to his convictions. He didn't prioritize the sport over his conviction. And yet he was really successful at the highest level. And one, that doesn't always work out like that, but I think that's what we're striving for. And so the process, how we compete, how we train is really, really important. And we want to win. We want to win championships. We want to do all those things. There's no coach on my staff that if I said to them, are you, are you not trying to win? They'd be like, yeah, because winning doesn't really matter. We're just, you know, we're just out there just for fun. Well, it needs to be enjoyable. 
but but winning is also important and and so we want to be good at what we do i think god calls us to be excellent in all that we do and that also means how we do sport and so um we ought to be doing it as well as anybody and and so that's what we're shooting for that's what we're striving for and we've got room to grow um at Houghton in terms of our success. We've got some of our programs have a lot of history and tradition of being very successful. Um, we've got some other programs that haven't done as well, but um, we are working hard to make strides. So in fact, this past year, and we were cut short in the spring, but this past year, since we joined the Empire 8, um, was the highest that we finished in the uh, Commissioner's Cup. So we finished in the top half of the conference for the first time um, in terms of sort of overall standings. And uh, like I said, the spring season still needed to be played. So, I mean, it's possible we could have moved up a spot or two. It's possible we could have moved down. I mean, that, that could happen too. But um, in any case, we're going to take it because the season ended and that's where we were at the end of that season. So um, there you go. That was really an interesting and elegant framework for process-based coaching. And while we know Houghton is, is grounded in, in Christian beliefs, I think what you're talking about transcends uh, all of that, which is uh, in one of my soapboxes on this podcast, is that it all should be about the process. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be a, a Christian-centered school to understand that there's a way of doing things that honors you, the sport, your values. Uh, and that's one of the, the things that I'm really most interested in is how do you create that and how do you engineer that in a department? You mentioned the Commissioner's Cup, Empire 8, and there's a, a really interesting fact here that Houghton transitioned into NCAA uh, Division Three, And if you could just very briefly give us kind of rundown of what, how that looked, what that was, and, and where you came from and where you ended up. So for a lot, a lot of years, Houghton was in the NAI, National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics, which for those who aren't familiar with the NAIA, I equate probably more similar to NCAA Division Two just from a model perspective in that we could give athletic scholarship. So we used to compete in the American Mideast Conference, which was actually mostly in Ohio um, with some Ohio schools, many of which have gone to NCAA Division II now. Um, University of Rio Grande, Notre Dame University, Walsh, Malone, uh, Mount Vernon, Nazarene, a number of schools out that way. Um, and when that transition started to happen in the conference with some of those schools leaving our, our the NAI conference going to NCAA Division II, we were on the very northeast geographic sort of edge of that conference. So we were faced with needing to make a decision ourselves uh, and basically looked at there, there was no other NAIA home for us without going down to like Kentucky and Tennessee. And um, so just geographically, it didn't make sense. So we looked at Division Three and Division Two, and um, Division Three. There were just many, many more options given our locale from a geography perspective that made a lot of sense. And I think for who we were as an institution, and who the Division Three sort of partners that we could align with, that we just felt that's where we belonged. We, we just belonged there philosophically. I think that's where we belonged better. Um, it was a transition. You know, when you're used to recruiting kids with scholarship it becomes different recruiting kids without having that scholarship conversation, particularly internationals. We had, I wouldn't say we were fraught with internationals, but we had a a decent number of international kids in in some of our programs, more like in soccer, we definitely did. And um, so that became a little bit different. Although I used to tell people the nice thing about that was it was just sort of easy now. It's like, we we can't have that conversation with you. You you just need to call our financial aid office and, and you can have that conversation with them. So, um, and, and we landed in a really good spot with the Empire 8 and just feel that we really align with who the Empire 8 is institutionally and geographically makes a whole lot more sense. I mean, we used to take bus rides that were six, seven hours for conference games and you know, getting back at four in the morning and just crazy trips. And, uh, you know, now um, uh, Sage is probably our longest trip, just over four hours but we're real close with some of the Rochester schools and Alfred University's close by. Elmira's not too far. And it's just geographically, it makes a whole lot more sense. And so we're really, really happy with where we are now. And we've been in the Empire 8, uh, oh goodness, years are running together. I think it's eight years now, um, something like seven or eight years that we've been official members of the Empire 8. So um, we're, we're real happy with that transition. For those not familiar, Empire 8 is a conference primarily of upstate New York. Um, 
yeah, really upstate New York um, mm-hmm. is the easiest way to describe it. So uh, as is the theme so far, so much to unpack uh, and really not the time to unpack it. But one of the things that I hear is how you talk about your coaches and really in this really glowing, robust way. And, you know, the, the frame here is, you know, you've been a coach, which not every athletic director can say they did. So you've had that experience. And I loved what you said about the coaches being your new team. So segueing into one of the main focuses of this year is, you know, how, how do we respond to COVID? And I'm going to kind of jumble that all together and hand you that ball and say, talk about your coaches and how are you and how are they dealing with, you know, COVID and, and what that's done to athletics? Yeah. So we have a bit of a younger coaching staff and this whole COVID thing that hit, the, the amount of social media that's taken off in the athletic realm with coaches has been just ridiculous. And, and um, I couldn't be prouder of how our coaches have sort of taken the opportunity. As I've said to them, I said, you actually have an opportunity now. This is going to sound funny with your athletes being gone to be their coach in a way that's actually the most important. So having taken the sport out of the equation where, I mean, that's what we love. We're on the lacrosse field. We're on the baseball field, whatever we're doing our sport. We love that. That's been taken away from us. That's what is so important to these young men and women, but your role as their coach and being an influence, you've actually got more time now to invest in them in those ways that sometimes we get caught up in the sport and we, we, we don't take advantage of. And so you know, the Zoom meetings, the accountability, our baseball coach, for example, did a thing where he had senior, oh, I'm not sure what he called it. Basically, each senior on the team presented to the rest of the team. Basically, if if this were my last day on earth, what do I want you to, what what do I want to be sure you know that I don't want to leave unsaid? And the underclassmen get to respond. And so they've done those kinds of things, you know, on Zoom. And, um, the, the, the amount of social media competitions and challenges and juggling things and passing things from one video to the next and, and all of that has really just been outstanding. And so I would say the amount of investment that our coaches have made in their athletes this spring has probably been more than any other time, even though it's looked differently, it's been all via technology. Um, really couldn't be prouder of how they've adapted to this new world of what it means to be a coach through their computer. A um, couple of the things, the way they've recruited, I think there's been a lot, you know, we've done some recruiting seminars. We actually invited some of our alumni who are coaching at other colleges into our recruiting strategies. Um, part of me was like, do we really want to be recruiting some of them? So some of them are, would even be competitors, but I thought, you know what, the, 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 the Houghton family of coaches goes beyond just our own current coaches. And so we've had some really fruitful times of, I'd say some professional development kinds of things um, with our coaches. And actually one of the proudest things um, for our staff, we do a, we have an annual uh, fundraising day. It's called our one day giving challenge. And we've got alumni out there and a number of different folks that sort of put money up. And if we meet certain challenges, you know, if 1,883 people donate on the day, and that numbers relative to when we were founded, but then certain people had, you know, that, that would unlock extra gifts and so forth. And so our advancement office vice president came to me and said, what, you know, what are the chances your coaches would be able to help us out this year? And in terms of generating some momentum and making some calls. And I said, done deal. I said, we're doing it. I said, uh, we will commit as a department to work for you that day. And uh, I told my coaches, again, many of them are younger, what we're going to be doing. And I, a number of them, I think, cringed uh, at the idea of making phone calls and doing fundraising, which is not what they're used to doing. Um, but not only did we exceed all of the numbers and goals that we'd established, we raised over a million dollars in one day. Um, the coaches were a key part in doing that and connected with alumni. Uh, one of my coaches said to me, he's like, you know, when you asked us to do this, I had on my list of things to do. I need to, he's a, he's a new coach. I need to connect with the alumni and I don't know a lot of them, but kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off because it wasn't the most comfortable thing to do. 
He goes, and when you forced us to do this, that's how he said it to me. It was kind of funny. You forced you to do this. I realized connecting with the alumni was really, really good. And he had a lot of good connections. He got a recruit out of one of the calls. <laughs> we have a new player coming for men's soccer from one of his recruit, from one of his fundraising calls. And um, they just knocked it out of the park to use a, a sport analogy. Um, and as our advancement office reports on sort of the success of the day, they're like, couldn't have done it without the athletic department. And so our coaches, young, committed to their sport, when I've asked them to do things a bit of outside of their comfort zone, they, they've done it and, and they've done it really, really well. And so um, just really, really proud of who they are. And, and, and um, in some ways, you know, I worry a little bit about they've done this virtual thing too well that, that uh, you know, people are going to expect us to be virtual uh, experts. Well, I mean, you can't do sport virtually. We're, we're doing it now because we have to. But uh, I know we're all looking forward to, you know, being back hopefully in the fall and, and uh, moving forward from there. But um, just really, really proud of my staff in terms of who they are, um, how they buy in to what we're about culturally, um, that idea of excellence for the glory of God and trans, you know, transferring that to be competitively excellent. And so we're working really hard to be successful, you know, on the competition um, fields and courts and so forth but we're committed to the institution as a whole and doing what for the, is the greater good of Houghton as a whole. And, and uh, so that was just, that was just a proud moment for me seeing them, you know, they get a list of 90 people they're supposed to call that day and they're calling every one of those people. They're getting every single one of their student athletes to current student athletes also to give to the college. You have a married couple on our staff who have a little challenge amongst themselves. They each coach a different sport to commit as a, as a couple, as a family, that if your team gets everybody on your team to give today and your team gets everybody to give today, we will make a special gift. Um, and just that kind of buy-in to who we are as an institution, and this is coming from, you know, we're a small little liberal arts college. We don't pay loads and loads of money. And you have a, a young couple like that coaching that are making those kinds of commitments to make this thing work. It's really fun to see that momentum how that happens through the course of the day and getting reports from the coaches like, wow, that was fun talking to those alumni. And I could, they gave, I, I didn't know people were actually going to give, you know? And, and uh, so really, really proud of who they are. Yeah. What you're saying about the relationship piece of the new focus because of COVID has been echoed basically by every guest is that they're sure. seeing a, a much deeper focus into the individual that they hadn't experienced. Next, something I talked to one of my mentors and actually a former guest on the podcast, John Doria, on education, specifically in the context of education, is that administrators, principals, often forget, if you will, that the meeting, the community of meeting that you have with your staff is the microcosm for showcasing and modeling the way you want your staff to interact with your players. And I think oftentimes that get, gets lost, but you talk about buy-in. <clears throat> Why do you think there is such buy-in? I think probably some of it goes back to the niche of who we are as a community and who we are as a college. So I think that's an attraction for our staff to want to be here. So there's a little bit that's probably already inherent in who they each are uh, at their core. Um, so asking them to invest in their young people or asking them to do something for the greater good of the college is probably not really asking them something that for, for as much as some of them cringe, like, oh no, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm not sure any of them said, that's not my job. That's not what I'm supposed to do. Uh, I can't believe he's asking me to do that. That's the fundraiser's job. You know, it's the same thing. All coaches are recruiters. You know, I don't, if a coach were to say, that's not my job, it's the admission office to bring in people. Well, your teams would be terrible, you know, if, 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 if you relied on just the admission office to recruit your field hockey players or your lacrosse players or whatever it might be. So, you know, I, I guess the buy-in and probably part of that is a leadership. I mean, again, it, it probably goes back to if I'm not investing in them, asking them to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. Uh, you know, th there's there's a little bit of you could say, you know, I, 
I'm taking taking bits out of the capital maybe that I've invested. As I invest, there's more there in in the glass for me to take out. You know, to to, to as I make deposits, 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 I can take a little you know withdrawal out every now and then too. But if I'm not making the deposits as their boss and investing in who they are, when I do ask them to do something that they're not thrilled about, it probably is harder. So hopefully I'm making enough deposits. I mean that's that's a model that I. I try and, and remember. Um, same thing. It's a parenting model too. I mean, I want to I want to say yes to my kids and pour into my kids as much as possible, so that when I need to say no, there, there's enough capital built up that okay, Dad said no, um, but he said has said yes a lot, and he's he's done a lot for me. I, I respect him when he says no. So, I mean, one of my coaches just the other day, you know, we've got some budget challenges as everybody does right now. And, uh, he'd done some fundraising this year and he asked me if he could still use his fundraising stuff because we've put a hold on sort of some orders right now. He goes, I think I know the answer to this question, but is there any chance I might still be able to use some of that money that we did our fundraising for, which was, you know, over and above their operating budget. And I said, you know, I said in any other year, you know what the answer to that would be. I said, this is a unique year. I said, uh, the answer to that's no. And he immediately responded. He's like, yeah, I knew that. Thanks. No big deal. <laughs> So like, but that kind of response wouldn't be the norm, I don't think, when, you know, saying, hey, I did some extra work, I went out and did some fundraising, I generated another couple thousand dollars, whatever it was, how come you're not, you know, how come I can't use that money? That was extra. Well, there's a bigger picture here that we're all a part of, so, um, yeah, I don't know if that's the full answer as to why is there buy-in, but I think some of those pieces, just who we are typically, who we attract for people who would want to coach here, um, I think it infuses it too. Another real unique thing, this is a real tangent, but another real unique thing about our department that's just a lot of fun, and I value this, I, I, uh, is we've got a lot of young coaches with a lot of little kids. So it's not, on. It's not. I would say hardly a day goes past where somebody – Either their spouse is bringing the kid through to say hi during lunch or little kids are running through the office at different parts of the day. And so not that we are running a daycare center up there, but the idea that the family unit's really, really important, I think is emphasized as, as much as I can emphasize that even in the workplace within reason, you know, we're not setting up playgrounds in our office space, but um, I think that models too what then they can model to their athletes. And so you know, we want to be a place where people want to come to work. And, and uh, you know, when Rose comes in the office and Brooks comes in the office, these are all little kids, you know, of, of my coaches. Um, they know where the gumball machine is in my office. And they know where I keep the, the little soccer balls in that one drawer. And one of our coaches has a little basketball Nerf hoop on their, on their office, right outside their office for when the kids come in, they can play in their hoop. And it's, it's uh, I'd say it's a family-friendly department. Um, where we're all pretty committed to each other. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say it for you uh, because I think it's hard sometimes, but I, I give you a lot of credit and uh, you know, as a model, as a leader, talk about transformational leadership, you are to be commended for setting that tone within a department. Um, and I think a lot of people don't see that connection, but kudos to you. Hats off uh, in the few minutes we have left because uh, you know, you have a unique perspective as an AD how is COVID affecting you at a, you know, at the administrative level? How do you reconcile COVID and an athletic department? Uh, how it's affected me. It, somebody said to me a week and a half ago or so, made a reference of having more free time. And I, I reacted to that pretty quick. I've, I've probably worked harder in this last month, month and a half than I've probably ever have um, with in strategic planning in communication with our staff. We used to, we used to, in, in the normal routine, uh, staff department meetings are important, but we used to do as much as we could to minimize meetings. Well, now we're meeting three times a week instead of once every two weeks, uh, you know, totally ramped up how much we're being together. Cause we don't have that informal day to day stopping by the office and taking care of business through just a short little conversation because I saw you now it's got to be intentional. You got to make a phone call. You got to set up a zoom meeting, you know, make sure you remember to talk about that in the next staff meeting, whatever it might be. Um, 
So I think for me as an administrator, it's been much more, well, and there's a lot, a lot of work being done, you know, in terms of what's it going to look like in the fall. And, and I think every AD you talk to in the country is going to probably tell you that, that that's what the, you know, vast majority of our work is now focused on, well, you know, what's the NCA going to say? What kinds of, you know, guidelines are we going to be given from the CDC, from the state, from, you know, uh, NCAA, you know, what's the conference doing? And so probably a lot more collaboration with, with others. Um, for example, tomorrow and then next week, again, we're having our conference meetings with our, with my colleagues at the, the other Empire schools. And that'll be the first time we've gotten together in probably a month. So sort of to hear what, where's everybody else at at this point, you know, what are, what are the things you guys are talking about? And, and uh, so, you know, COVID has obviously disrupted the normal routine. Um, COVID has brought all my kids home. So all my kids are in my house and that's sort of fun. Um, so there's been some opportunity for, being with my family and I want to take advantage of that. As I've said to my kids, like we probably never will have this sort of thing again, where, I mean, three of them are grown and professionals and they decided to come home and sort of I'll call weather the storm here in Houghton, New York. And so they're all here. And uh, it's not uncommon to get a text from one of the kids in the house, you know, because they're on zoom meetings. Right. Hey, the Wi-Fi slowing down. Can you get off zoom? And, you know, so we have these funny text messages going back and forth, but in terms of how it's impacted, me yeah i'm working from home but I'm, I'm i'm a lot more meetings um a lot more planning and and strategizing i think um we've taken opportunity for professional development we've we've done a decent we've done more of that um but uh, the coaches that's different they're recruiting like crazy you know we've emphasized yeah there's this year's recruits but you're probably not identifying a whole lot of new people now. It's trying to close the deal, but you've got more opportunity and probably time to connect with 2021s and 2022s and cause they're all home too. You know, they're home during the day you can connect. So there's been a lot more of that going on um, as well. So uh, building our lists, you know, for future years. Um, yeah. Matt, you had a hard stop here at an hour. So I want to honor that. Uh, I just want to say thank you. I think, any, any one of many topics could have been a full episode here and hopefully we get to have you back on in the future to talk a lot more about culture and relationships and your athletic department and relationships with your coaches. But I just want to thank you uh, for coming on and I really appreciate this and I really look forward to seeing how you and your department, you know, adapt to this challenge. Well, I appreciate it, Matthew. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Performance Rising Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can find all the information about the podcast at performancerising.org. And be sure to check out the Instagram page at performance underscore rising.